You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Today we'll be talking about practical ways to make our office safe. Our guest is Dr. Scott Benjamin, an internationally recognized expert, lecturer, and trainer on dental lasers and advanced dental technologies, and is in private practice in rural upstate New York. Dr. Benjamin has faculty appointments at several universities and is the chairman of the ADA Standards Committee Working Group on Dental Lasers and is a past president of the Academy of Laser Dentistry. Before we get started, I would like to thank Midmark for sponsoring this podcast. Midmark is a great company. I know many of the folks over there, and I can tell you they are great people to work with and have a stellar reputation. Midmark designs solutions for dentists around the world that result in better care by harmonizing the clinical space, technology, and workflows, integrating ergonomic support, and maintaining the principles of safety for patients and staff are always at the center of design. So if you're looking for a single source leader for planning, equipping, and developing better utilization of operatory, imaging, instrument processing, dental cabinetry, and mechanical room solutions, I encourage you to go online and visit midmark.com dental. You'll be happy you did. And now let's welcome our podcast guest, Dr. Scott Benjamin. Scott, thanks for joining us on Dental Talk. Well, thank you, Phil. It's always a pleasure being with you. You know, we all agree that one of the biggest priorities we have right now as dental healthcare providers is to make our patients and staff feel safe. So can you share with us some of the simple and practical things that you're teaching now to other dentists you've implemented in your own practice about things we could do to make our office safer during this pandemic? Well, Phil, you're absolutely correct that our most important goal and consideration that we have to have as clinicians today is making our staff and our patients feel that what we are doing in the environment that we are providing their oral health care in is, is as safe as it was before the pandemic started. Um, our goal really is not to expose any anyone or any area unnecessarily to the, the COVID virus or for any other microorganisms for that reason. The concept of, of sitting back and assessing what needs to be done and trying to practice in this new normal that it's different for everyone. It's different for our team. It's different for our patients. And understanding their desires as patients for the treatments that they feel is needed today and what is not needed is really, really important because things have significantly changed in patients' attitudes. Um, and that's what we really need to be focusing on. Yeah, so we've heard from some of the dental dealers that are out there right now that, you know, there's things they could buy, filtration equipment, high evacuation equipment because they're worried about aerosols. What are some of the simple, practical, cost-effective ways you've implemented in your practice to to help with uh, reducing aerosols and, and making the office safer, not only just aerosols, but just everything related to patient management, et cetera? Well, and you hit the nail on the head. It's not just the aerosols that we need to be concerned with. It's also the entire environment that we're dealing with. One of the most important aspects that we have to have and to be successful is getting the entire dental team involved. In a future podcast, we're going to talk about that in great detail. And as clinicians, we have to understand that the two most important assets that we have in our practice is our own personal knowledge, and that is the knowledge of our dental team and having them involved so they have ownership on the new protocols that we're doing becomes very, very, very important. Um, The transparency that goes on to making sure that they feel safe and the procedures they're doing 
and it's a matter of that they can then relay that to the patient that they do feel safe. Um, as we as we get used to dealing in this new environment, keeping our patients informed of what they should be doing and constantly reminding them of that is probably one of our biggest challenges. Um, what we have done in our office is we have implemented programs utilizing our um, our appointment reminder system. We go in and to tell our patients to contact us over the phone before their appointment, and we do this about two weeks in advance. And the whole goal is, is using this technology to then ha have us engage in a conversation of what the changes they can expect going in, their new responsibilities, because at this time, the patients now have responsibilities they've never had in the past. So we use signage to remind them of the things that we've discussed. We have actually either emailed them or snail mailed them or allow them to download our new protocols um, from our website so that they know what to expect when they come in. Uh, we have signs on our front door telling us, do not, telling them, do not enter without wearing a face mask. If they do not have a face mask, which they've been instructed to wear here in New York State, everywhere in public, we have face masks that are literally in plastic bags hanging directly inside of the door. So as soon as they enter the office, they can don a face mask if they don't have one. We also have hand sanitizers directly at our entranceway and at our front counter. With the ideas, we want to minimize them bringing anything into the practice, and we also want to minimize them taking anything out of the practice as far as any sort of, of microbes at all, whether it's the COVID virus or anything else. What do you do to make sure patients don't pass each other in the office? Is there a separate entrance and exit, and how do you keep the patients separated? Well, what we have done is we've created a, a, a one-way traffic flow, and we've actually placed signs on the wall, but we've instructed our patients in the information that we send them in advance that they are going to be going in one direction. Now, dental offices, unlike grocery stores and other places of business, we don't have a huge traffic value. But again, when possible, it's strongly encouraged, and what we do in our office is a one-way traffic flow. So they come in the front door as normal. We then, while they're there at the front counter, we're immediately reconfirming that they did their at-home health assessment, which is something that we have discussed with them on the phone and have sent it to them in writing. So they can be taking their temperature at home, being able to, in turn, know the signs and the symptoms of the COVID virus. And if they have any of those, we've instructed the patient to contact us ahead of their appointment. As soon as they come into the practice and they enter the office, we're then taking the patient's temperature at the front counter with the idea if we find a patient that has something that looks like a potential symptom of the COVID virus. So we have a questionnaire that we are, we are asking them um, in great details about the various signs and symptoms that are there. If any of these are positive, we're having the patient immediately leave the practice and not trying to, I'll use the word in fact, but contaminate any of our treatment areas. And with the idea, the, the importance of what we're doing with the pre-screening at home makes it so if the patient does have a, a health concern of some sort, they're not wasting their time coming to the office to be rejected and saving them time. And more importantly for our practice, 
they're not potentially bringing something we don't want to have into the office into the office. Yeah, that's very important. Could you go over that at-home health status assessment, the whole process? So a patient uh, is scheduled to come into your office. Could you go over the process of getting that patient scheduled, what they should do at home first? And you mentioned something about them calling the office. If you could just review that for us. Yeah. What we've done in our practice is we use our, we've institute our patient reminder system that instead of calling them just a few days before their appointment, we are now uh, contacting the patient through the automated system. To, uh, we have some important information regarding their upcoming dental visit and to contact and to call our office at their earliest convenience so we can review this with them. That time we are verbally telling them, you know, that we've made this, some changes to the practice and to our workflow. We're asking them what is the easiest way for them to obtain the information in writing. As I mentioned, if we can email it to them, they can download it from our website. And then in turn, um, if they have access to neither, and some, which is some of our geriatrics, we then in turn can send it to them through snail mail. And we're doing this two weeks in advance to give them time to respond appropriately, to review all the information that we have sent them and to give them the peace of mind and security. Now, the information we're sending them also talks about the enhancements we've made to our office, the filtration, the, the patient flow, that they are going to be tested and doing a variety of things at that appointment that are new to them. By having it in writing, it becomes very valuable to them. And we remind them that we want them to do this at-home test. And in the at-home test, what we're asking them is to take their temperature the day before and the morning of the appointment. And if it's over 100 degrees to contact our office. We also ask them if they've been exposed to anybody that, is, that has the COVID virus or any known symptoms. We're asking them has there been a change in their loss of, of taste and smell, which has been, been determined to be a primary cis, um, symptom. We also talk about cough, fever, all the other things that are related to that. And we all have this in writing and we don't need to have them send that back. And I'm amazed we've actually had some of our patients actually email that back to us. But we're using it as a guide for them. When they arrive at the office, again, we are asking them to use a hand sanitizer as soon as they enter the building. So if they do have any fomites or contaminants on their hands, that it's been written, that it's removed and they don't touch or contaminate anything into the office. At the front desk, as soon as they're part of the check-in process, we are then taking their temperature with a, with a touchless system. And we are at reviewing all the questions with them before we allow them to go back into the operatory. And we have done social spacing of our chairs in the waiting room. One of the things we've also done, again, I'm in a rural area in upstate New York with a porch on my office. We've put outside patio furniture on our porch for any healthcare aid or whatever that may accompany them so they can actually be comfortable outside of our office while they're waiting for the, the patient to be treated rather than being internal. Um, once a patient has gone through the screening process at our front desk, they are then immediately escorted back into the operatory that we're treating them in. Now, uh, the, something that I learned many years ago is always have more operatories than you think you'll ever need. And now in the time of the COVID virus, that is paying off very good because we alternate between operatories for patients. So my two hygienists and myself, we all have two operatories to work out of that we, and we still even have a spare that we can then alternate between rooms. So when a patient arrives, they're taken immediately into their treatment room. 
and and are there, and then we further um, go through their health assessment as normal. We have also determined, okay, if a patient is coming in wearing a face mask, what are we going to do with that face mask during the treatment? Um, obviously, we don't want to get it contaminated with other contaminants in the office. So one of the things we've identified a location where we're going to place the face mask in the operatory, placing it on a basically a tray cover that is out of the way and then covering it with an additional tray cover during the procedure. So any of the contaminants that, that are in the air that may be from potentially somebody else is not going to fall on the mask before they don it when they leave. If we look at the mask and it doesn't look to be satisfactory, we're giving the patient one of our surgical masks to wear when they leave the office. Now, again, part of the scenario that we've run into is patients want to pay for their appointments at the time of services, which we obviously want to strongly encourage. Um, and so we have worked out a system to being able to either pay in the operatory themselves or knowing that they can pay online as soon as they get home. And making that as an available service to the patient has taken some of the stress off of my administrative staff and making it so it's simple and easy. Right. So you're looking for a one-way system. So when they're in the operatory and the services are done, they pay for it in the operatory and then they leave through a separate exit? They're either paying for the operatory. And again, I've been in practice for many, many years. I have a very strong, stable patient base telling the patients if they would rather wait and pay when they get when they get home by paying online. That's something that can be done also. So it's a matter of we've tried to streamline the system and really minimize paper shuffling, for lack of a better term to put it on, in the office itself. Any forms that need to be completed by the patient, we're encouraging them, again, to do it online and submit them either through the website in a secure manner or send them through a secure email service. And we tell them if they don't know how to do that, we, we can actually do that for them by sending them an email that they just need to reply back to us. And all the, the protected health information is then being transported to our office in a safe, secure manner so that, the, that there is no such thing as a HIPAA breach or whatever going on in the process. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um, what, what are we doing for aerosol now uh, to reduce aerosol? You talked about these other um, protocols that are really excellent um, recommendations in, in running your practice as far as management of the patient. As far as aerosol goes, what are some of the practical things that dentists can implement to reduce it? Well, the, as we know, the primary concern that we have practicing dentist, dentistry is the aerosols that are created by our ultrasonic scalers, our high-speed handpieces, our, our you know, three-way syringes, all of these things that we, we are very aware that create aerosols. And so by making sure that everybody in the operatory is protected from the aerosol, that we have the appropriate face shields. And we've been using the, you know, the OptiOp face shields in my office for literally decades. And so the wearing the face shield is nothing that's new to our practice or new to our patients, which in this time, I guess, is a real godsend. Because as people were talking about this on the news, they're saying, well, gee, my, my clinician has always had these type of things in place in the beginning. So again, that is something that's not new to them. Now, to, to manage and help clean the air, there's several ways to do it. There are filters that when we have placed air filtration in every one of our operatories, that is not just a HIPAA filter. It's, you know, it doesn't just have the HEPA cleaner, but it also has a UVC 
component to it that has been shown to be very effective of inactivating viruses and bacteria. Um, the, another thing that can be done if a practice does have um, the ability to modify their air conditioning and heating system, that a UVC light can be placed in their air ducts, and it's usually back at the air handler near their air conditioning unit, that can be placed right in it so that the air that is going through their entire office and the air conditioning system is being disinfected as much as reasonably possible. Some studies that were done at Duke and other places show that by using a UVC filter, and what a UVC filter emits light in the, in the 200 to 280 nanometer range, and it's been shown to be very effective killing mold, bacteria, viruses, and they've actually shown that it can be reduced by more than 97%. There's been a few studies showing that. These devices are relatively inexpensive. How does one install a device like this? You don't have to do any kind of construction in the office, right? Removing sheetrock or... Well, the ones that are freestanding you put in your operatories will just run off a normal 110 circuit that can be put down and plugged in. Mm -hmm. And then we have them running all day long. We have those in the operatories. The ones that go in your, um, your heating and air conditioning system, I strongly recommend that they be installed by a professional and they go right in the duct itself. You're not tearing down sheetrock. You're not doing major um, changes to the physical plant. And believe it or not, the cost of insulation is, of, of installing these is less than the cost of the device itself. These devices sell anywhere from two from 100 to about $400. So the devices themselves are not terribly expensive that are going into your air conditioning system. And But again, anything that we can do to clean our air makes it, it makes a better environment for everybody all the way through and you know and that is really critical is there what some sort of uh, reg, uh criteria on how much volume of air gets pushed through that uvc air filtration standalone like per hour or per minute the numbers that you'll read are seem to be all over the place and the, the basic rule of thumb is the the, the more exchanges the better it is um, I've seen numbers that have been published anywhere from six times an hour all the way up to 15 to 20 times an hour that the volume of the room needs to be exchanged. But the most important thing, what is going to work in your facility to give you the best, um, best outcome? Managing the aerosols as they're coming out of the patient's mouth is also extremely important. Using you know, the high volume evacuation systems that you have to the utmost. My operatories are all set up so that we can do any procedure in any one of my operatory, whether it's hygiene, whether it's implant surgery, whether it's crown and bridge, whether it's routine restorative. And with the idea that having two HVE hoses, one that we're connecting to something like the Isolite, the Mr. Thirsty by Zerk, uh, the, the dental leaf that is out there by, um, I believe, by Cavo. I think you're talking about relief by Colzer. Yeah, relief. Yeah, that's it. That's a relief that's a, by Colzer. Yeah, that's, that's that, a good one. Yeah, that functions that way. All of these things are um, ways to help. So we are having our patients, we're using those and we're using any sort of things that are going to create aerosols as well as our conventional high-speed suction. So we're trying to mitigate as much of the aerosols being created into our environment as possible. My suction system, we've always had it venting directly out of the building and not having it vent inside of the building. Um, again, I'm in a standalone building that I own that I have control over. 
So it's one of these things in the planning from the very beginning, we put these things in. So as this pandemic hit, a lot of what offices are now trying to change to are things that that with appropriate planning have been done and were, were done in the past for me. Um, but being aware that these are things that you should look at and consider, and if it's reasonably possible, consider doing something along that line. Because our goal is, is how do we get any potential contaminants um, out of the building and away from our staff and our patients and ourselves as easily and as quickly as possible. What is your recommendation when a, the dental hygienist says, I'm going to just go with hand instruments? That's what we, under the, the present recommendation from the American Dental Association is that hand instrumentation is prefer, preferable at this time versus ultrasonic scaling. Now, we know that ultrasonic scalers and piezo scalers are a very, very effective way of of cleaning the, the periodontal um, pocket and removing the calculus off the teeth. Having using devices like an erbium YAG laser and various other devices that don't create the same amount of aerosols as our ultrasonics and our high speed. So when it comes to doing restorative procedures, we are we are routinely using our our erbium YAG laser versus using our rotary instruments when it's possible. Now, obviously, a laser is not able to remove an amalgam or things along that line, but we're trying to minimize our use of ultrasonics. We're trying to minimize our use wherever possible of our high of our high speed hand pieces, and at the same time, we are we are educating our patients that we are doing things this way. This is a little bit different than the normal appointment you've had in the past. We are trying to do whatever we can to keep you and ourselves and our other patients safe because it's very important that we emphasize to them that we're trying to keep the cross-contamination from them affecting other people and and other people's cross-contamination from infecting them. You mentioned uh, something to me offline, Dr. Benjamin, about uh, putting a special fee for PPE. What's your thoughts on that? There's been a lot of discussion on that, and um, back again, as I, as you and I were discussing, 20 years ago when I started using digital radiography, you know, we told the patients that, hey, one of the great advantages of digital radiography was that it was going to reduce the radiation they were exposed to by 75 to 90 percent. Well, the first comment I got from, again, about my first dozen patients were, well, what have you been doing to me in the past? Um, <laughs> You know, and, you know, how much radiation have you been exposed? Because we always told them that the amount of radiation from a dental x-ray is, as we know, is very insignificant. Um, you know, and it, so it taught me that when you start talking about those type of things, you need to be very cautious. So we changed our verbiage when we were doing digital radiography, that the reason we're now using our digital radiography is we have a higher quality image. We are not reducing our radiation. And the same thing I feel applies to now adding a PPE fee, a COVID virus fee of all of these things. Of It implies if you're adding that as a separate fee, that possibly your protocols in the past were not up to standard or not as effective. Um, my encouragement, rather than adding a separate PPE fee, if you have the ability, and many practices are now um, working within the, the guidelines of insurance companies, if they can possibly raise their fee, would be to raise the fee for the procedure rather than putting a separate fee. 
um, do we charge extra because we are using an ultrasonic versus hand scaling when we're doing a hygiene procedure? And the answer is absolutely not. When I'm doing a, a phrenectomy with my laser, am I in turn charging a patient an up fee for the laser utilization? Because I've now cut the time of the appointment literally down into a quarter of what it was in the past. And the answer is no. And so again, it's looking at your fees. And if you have the ability to adjust your fees, I would recommend doing that first. Right. Some of the third-party payers are now allowing a separate fee or um, a PPE fee or a infection control fee or whatever. If you participate in a plan, it's extremely important before you start adding things on, making sure that it's within the contract that you've put together. Mm-hmm. For those of us that are in fee-for-service pay um, practices, this is not a concern to us. But for those that are that are insurance-driven, that is something that they need to be very, very aware of before they start adding additional fees that way. Part of the whole patient procedure is they're wearing a mask when they enter the operatory. They're wearing a mask when they're in public, or they should be if they're not. With the idea that when we enter, there is an order which you should put your PPP on, put on a special way, and removed a special way. And so one of the things that we're encouraging with our, our PPE is that we're donning all of that ahead of time before we enter the operatory. In the operatory, the patient does not have their, you know, is it going to be removing their mask? We want to make sure that all of our exposed places are appropriately covered. We are having our staff wear different clothing in the office than they are when they arrive. Our staff arrives in the office. They go through basically the same health check they're doing for themselves and um, signing it. And basically, we have a log sheet that, yes, they appear that their temperature is below that and that they're healthy every day. They come into the practice that we have a documentation that our staff is stating that they're healthy. They then are changing into their scrubs and then they're downing the additional PPE on top of that outside of the operatory um, before they enter it. Because when they enter in the operatory, the patient may or may not have their face mask removed already. So therefore, the protection for the staff is very important. Do you recommend unwrapping instruments in front of the patient? Do you wait for the patient to be seated before you unwrap instruments? That kind of thing to show the, the patient that you know, we're taking this very seriously and, and you're trying to instill confidence. Mm-hmm. Having the patient see that the instrument pack is being opened in front of the patient is an extremely important thing. So they they know that things are being done in a very safe and in a very effective uh, manner and that their protection, because again, these are discussions that, you know, that, that the patients are very, very aware of. And again, because our office has very been very sensitive to appropriate infection control standards in the past, a lot of this stuff, other than not wearing the full gown, is something that is really not new to the patient, but it is something that is important. A recent course I taught for um, um, Eastman Dental School in Rochester was on patient communication. And the intriguing thing is we talk about reading body language and uh, how important our body language is. And today that has even become our verbal skills need to be more important because a lot of our personal body language that the patient is literally only being able to see our eyes and the rest of our bodies are completely covered up. So being aware of that, it means our communication has to be absolutely impeccable more now than it ever was before. Yeah. And that actually, that's a great segue because we're going to be doing a podcast with you 
next on communicating the new normal to our patients. So uh, we're really excited about having you discuss that uh, topic in our next podcast. So that's going to be a perfect segue. A pretty obvious, you're going to be removing all materials like magazines, brochures, games, toys, all that stuff from patient areas. And have you done that? And um, do you recommend that to everybody else to do? And one other thing on top of that is scheduling patients that need to be seen as higher risk. You're going to be putting them in the first um, block that's available in your office that, that day, right? The first available slot. You bring up a, a variety of good points there. We are now in the situation that anything that is not pertinent to that patient encounter as far as their actual treatment is removed from any sort of, of, of I'll call it patient contact. But I'll just say, uh, so our, our waiting rooms now have no magazines, no toys for the children, none of these things. And these are things that we are informing patients of in advance so that if they need something to entertain themselves using their cell phone, an iPad, or whatever they want to bring with them so that stays with them in their possession, so they're not cross-contaminating any of our... And again, when they when they go to set it down, we are setting that in a covered area so it's not contaminating um, the counter. If a supply is not needed for a procedure, we don't encourage it to be in the operatory. We really, and this is an extremely important scenario, is that we don't have anybody in the operatory that doesn't need to be there appropriately using communication systems like light systems to notify what needs to be done and what materials needs to be met. So we're not doing that using hand-free intercom systems. So to, to initiate, to minimize the amount of staff contact with various patients and those type of things becomes very, very, very important. Um, Again, I've been in practice in the same building now for many, many, many years. We know our patients. And part of our scheduling is myself and my hygienist and our staff members have looked at our patients. We're looking at their potential systemic health risk. And people that are, we consider it at high risk, We are if we need to schedule them right away, we are trying to schedule them in the first thing in the morning so that any of the aerosols that may have been created during the, uh, the treatments in the in the past have had time to settle. Now, we are fogging our operatories with hypochlorous acid between every patient. Um, we have actually, uh, some of the hypochlorous acid in the past has been fairly unstable, so it wasn't something that was being used. There are now um, commercially available products on the market of the hypochlorous acid um, that, that works very nicely for fogging their rooms. We actually went out and for a couple of hundred dollars actually bought a device that actually makes it out of distilled water and believe it or not, kosher salt. And it makes a liter of it about in 10 minutes. And so we are actually making this in our, in our practice ourselves. So the cost is almost negligible. And again, we're fogging every operatory between every patient. Uh, last week, the CDC actually remove the recommendation of waiting 15 minutes before you clean the operatory to let the aerosol settle. The ADA recommends the, whenever possible that you still do that. And we try to do that, um, follow that, and give it 15 minutes or longer because we do have the space to allow it to settle. Then going in and fogging, and again, we have fogged the room immediately after the patient leaves. We refog it again when we clean it up. And again, doing that with the 
with the containers that we have we've come up with and experimented with, it makes it a very simple procedure that only takes literally about 30 seconds to do an entire operatory. Where, where could our listeners get information on how to fog their operatory, how to make the mixture and how to uh, apply it? And there are commercial fogging devices that are available. Um, National Dental Innovations um, is one company that has the commercially available hypochlorous acid and some fogging devices that are available. There are fogging devices that you can buy commercially um, at stores like you know, Home Depot and Lowe's and places like that. We've actually did some experimenting and came up with basically spray bottles that we set it on a misting setting. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one of the concerns you have to have with hypochlorous acid, it's extremely light sensitive. So we keep them in dark brown bottles and it's been shown that it breaks down over time so that we keep them in, and it will last longer in a dark bottle stored in a cool place. So every night we're putting the the solution into our refrigerator to keep it cool. And when obviously with the door closed, it's extremely dark also. And we have testing mechanisms to make sure that the, the strength of it is appropriate. Before we continue, I'd like to once again thank Midmark for sponsoring this podcast. There are costs involved in creating these podcasts, and if it were not for our sponsors, these podcasts would not be possible. Midmark is a great company, and if you're looking for a single-source leader for planning, equipping, and developing better utilization of operatory, imaging, instrument processing, dental cabinetry, and mechanical room solutions, I encourage you to go online and visit midmark.com dental. So we are testing it every time. Um, believe it or not, the reason we went to this was my, my hygiene staff had done a variety of research on it and came up with the, the appropriate protocols and mechanism, which is coming back to when powering your staff, getting them involved, having them come up with the protocols that you're doing, and they do it in conjunction with you. Now it doesn't be, this is my idea that we're forcing them to do. This is their concept of how to keep themselves and their patients safe. Yeah, it makes total sense. And uh, it's been incredibly good information that you provided us, Dr. Benjamin. Thank you so much. We look forward to you on our next podcast. Thanks again. As always, it's a pleasure. Whatever I can do to help the profession, that's what my goal is at this point in my career. Thank you very much for the opportunity. 